<laughs> well, that sure was fun. Come back next week and watch us when we do more Cooking with Tide. See you later. Cut. That's a wrap, people. See you in the morning. <laughs>70s. I love the 70s. Think of all the incredible horror flicks that we got out of the 70s. Well, I'm sure we're going to cover quite a few of them on this show, but not today. What we're going to talk about is the influence these movies had on a certain film that we're talking about today, which is The Evil Dead. 
Uh, coming from Texas Chainsaw and the grittiness of that, The Hills Have Eyes, Last House on the Left, uh, Sam Raimi, Rob Tapert, and Bruce Campbell at a very young age wanted to create something that kind of had a feel of that, but also tackle some of the, the content that's coming out of the time based off The Exorcist and things like that. So the 70s gave us all these great flicks that were kind of groundbreaking at the time, talking about subjects that weren't really talked about before coming past the hard decade of, of the Hammer films and stuff like that. So it was a real turning point. And these movies were such a big influence on these guys when they were making this film. They wanted to make something that nobody really seen before. And boy, did they ever. What I really love about this film is it's little rascals in real life. Just a bunch of kids throwing their stuff into a car, driving down to Tennessee and finding an old abandoned cabin that was just falling all to pieces, and just deciding to make a movie. And they made this movie that really changed the way that independent films were made and shot. How do you get any greater than that? I mean... They wanted to create a movie that had never been seen before, and they did it. Not to mention the insane camera work that's done in this film. You can't even pick one scene to even talk about. You kind of have to look at it as a whole, because it's like crap through a goose. It's just everywhere throughout this flick. But as far as the plot for this movie, you really can't get much simpler than this. Five people in a car, driving out to an abandoned cabin, having a weekend out of it, right? That's pretty much it. And you've got your character development, which is very minimal. Not a lot. you got Ash and Linda, who's a couple. you got Scott and Shelley, who's a couple. And then you got Ash's sister, Cheryl who's just kind of by herself, or who knows, maybe she's hooking up with Scott on the side, or Lord forbid some taboo family incest stuff going on. Who knows? I'm just saying. We don't really know. But anyways, that's the cast, that's the place, that's it. And then it just rolls from there. The first night of when they're there, they kind of have a little party going on. They're celebrating, just hanging out. And then all of a sudden, the cellar door pops open. That should be a sign right there that... You may want to just get on out of there. When doors just start opening by themselves, not a good thing. It's not. So Scott and Ash decide they're going to go down and just see what's going on. Why? I don't know. Again, it's just that thing of I'd be going out the other way. But still, they go down there and they look around and they find some interesting objects. One thing is there's a ripped poster back there in the back that's The Hills Have Eyes, which kind of ties into some things in some other movies coming up. But they also find... A book that's bound in human flesh, inked in blood. They find an old reel-to-reel -reel tape player. And they also find a knife that has a skull head and all these bones and stuff. It basically looks like a cod piece for Blackie Lawless from Wasp. So they bring these items upstairs and they all gather around. They start listening to the tape and the tape starts describing what these items are that they're staring at. It starts talking about the book. And that's when all Hades starts breaking loose. It's at this point that the tape player starts translating what's in the book. And while it's translating it, it's bringing the demons to life to come and take the souls of the living. Tatra amistrobin hazarta Tantir mano mansizon hazan sobar Samanda robza Shut it off. 
That's unfortunate for them, fortunate for us. So you get to parts to where everybody's kind of separating, and everybody's trying to get a little alone time, and uh, Cheryl's left by herself, and I kind of have to say, out of the whole bunch, Cheryl's probably got the worst deal. Like I said, she's by herself. She don't have a hookup. Again, we don't know what's going on. But the fact of she sits down, she's working on her sketch work, and ends up drawing something that looks like some Stephen Hawking art. And she's also dumb enough to run outside by herself because she hears something. What's that? I hear something. Who is it? Who can it be? Is anybody out there? This leads us to probably the most infamous scene that's from this movie, when Cheryl gets raped by the woods. also have a scene here where Ash and his unibrow is trying to give Linda a gift that he give her. What a gift, man. It's something that basically she has to just say thanks and be nice, I guess. Come on, dude. A looking glass? What is she, a fan of Sherlock Holmes or something? Elementary, my corduroy-wearing unibrowed stud. Come on, dude. Could have tried a little harder, right? So Cheryl comes running back full speed back to the cabin. She comes inside, and she basically tells everybody that she's had enough. Really? You had enough? Something in the woods did this to you? No, it was the woods themselves. They're alive, Ashley. The trees. They're alive. Ash, why don't I take her in the back room so she can lie down? I'm not lying down. I want to get out of here. I want to leave this place right now. It's at this point she tells Ash that she wants to get out of there and they get in the car and take off. Actually, they don't think they're going to take off because this movie breaks all the rules that you're used to in every movie that came before this. They get in the car, they try to crank it, and it turns over and turns over. It's not going to crank, it's not going to crank, it's not going to let us leave, and then the car cranks. That's what's clever about this flick. But, they get down to the main bridge, which is the only way out, and these demons are really, really slick, man, because they find a cutting torch or whatever, and they cut this bridge up and fix it to where they can't cross. These are some bad demons. So after seeing the bridges out, they make a return back to the cabin, which is Probably my favorite scene in the whole movie because when they're getting back inside, they're kind of chilling out. And then Cheryl gets possessed and she starts acting like your drunk uncle when he's dressed like a prostitute at your party. Why have you disturbed our sleep? Awakened us from our ancient slumber. You will die like the others before you. One by one, we will take you. Not to mention the pencil scene. Holy Molly Cyrus. This thing still has the power to make you cringe every time you see that scene where she's just digging it in there like that. <laughs> then the slapping begins. This is really not a good start for a horror legend to be that's coming down the road because he gets slapped around like a little school kid and bookshelves are his worst enemy, man. If the demons would have fought him in a library, Ash would have been toast. 
But with a good smack with an axe handle and a good kick to the face, they knock Cheryl off into the cellar where they lock her up down there and she basically sits there and makes insults and noises the rest of the time, which drives everybody insane. The first time I saw this movie and I saw this part, I was glued to the screen like a couple of dogs that were stuck in the middle of the act. Can it get any crazier than this? Oh, absolutely. Put on your gore goggles because we're about to make it rain up in here. This is a segment I like to call, Can Your Movie Do That? How do they do that anyway? At this point, you got Scott going all through the house because he knows something's wrong, right? Typical stuff. You go to the shower. Something's behind the shower curtain. You pull the shower curtain back. Nothing there. Not to mention he gets a haircut in a scene or two and then comes back and his hair's back long again. But hey, never mind. Now Shelly is possessed and she jumps on Scott like a crazed beaver and starts going crazy on the dude. They get in this big fight in the floor. She's got the Kandarian knife, which is the codpiece for Black and Lawless I was talking about earlier, and she's trying her best to get to him. He pulls out his buck knife he's got behind him, and he starts cutting her wrist. This is where it gets crazy. She literally just starts chewing her own hand off. And then Scott reaches down and grabs the knife that's in the hand that she just chewed off, picks up the knife, stabs Shelly with it, and she starts melting, screaming, falls on the floor. She's spitting blood and milk everywhere. That's right, milk. Diamond Dave himself, David Lee Roth, said, you do the best of what you got. They had milk. So she's laying there, and you're thinking she's dead, right? Nope. All of a sudden, she jumps back up, and her face looks like an open roast beef sandwich. She comes after him, then all of a sudden, it's on, man. Scott realizes the only way to stop this thing is to just chop her up with an axe. That's love. One of my favorite scenes is the dummy scene, where the body's coming up to Scott, and he takes the axe, and he whacks it, and you can actually tell it's actual contact with the thing. I think it's brilliant. But coming out of that, then we gotta chop the body up. And when we do, we got body parts laying everywhere, flopping on the ground. It's great. It's absolutely great. Can your movie do that? Yeah, I don't think so. And I love the buildup with this knife. Like, it's supposed to be the way that you kill the demons. But at this point, it's about as useful as a corn cob holder more than anything else. So now we got Scott, who's basically the only smart person in this movie, says, You know what? Y'all can have it. I'm outie. So he takes off like a fart in a dust storm, while Ash goes back and checks on Linda's leg where she got stabbed. She gets a real bad case of spider veins, and then she jumps up and looks like a possessed Avon lady, and starts attacking Ash. Ugh. And you want continuity in this movie? Well, here it is. Slapping! <laughs> This is the point where Ash has had enough, so he basically takes Linda and drags her outside to leave her, which I think is one of the cooler looking scenes in the movie. 
because she's like clawing at the ground and she's got her head turned back, almost kind of contorted. And you can see the, the contact lenses are kind of glowing. It's a really cool effect. Probably an accident, but it looks killer. And yeah, these contact lenses they're wearing are basically bottle tops that they're putting in their eyes. They were not intended for long use. I think they could keep them in for about 15 minutes at a time and had to take them right out because there was no oxygen getting to their eyes at all. Folks, that's real horror. It's at this point that Scott shows back up and apparently he's been raped by the woods too. Not a pretty sight. Oh, Scotty, you're going to be okay. You're going to be just fine. You'll see. Also, you get the point here to where Cheryl and Linda start changing back to normal. Again, these demons are just smart, man. Hey, we'll make him think everything's okay and we'll pounce on him again and just drive him absolutely nuts. It's really interesting the angle on these demons because in most cases, a demon just wants to take over your soul and condemn you. I guess that's the point. But in this movie, that's not the case at all. They just want to torment you. It's kind of cool and different. So when this transformation is going on where they're changing back to good and then they're possessed and not possessed and all that stuff and Ash is buying it, he's going, oh, it's your sister Cheryl, I'm okay, you can let me out. All this kind of crap, right? And you're screaming at the screen like back in the old wrestling days of, no, don't do it. Either the wrestling days or back when you went to that grindhouse theater and watched I Drink Your Blood. It's all the same. You're programmed to go absolutely bonkers. Cheryl? It's at this point that possessed Mary Kay comes back in and grabs the Kandarian knife and starts coming after Ash with it. And possibly the worst handling of cutlery I've ever seen a demon do. I don't know if this demon was just lacking the skills or who knows. But uh, yeah, you don't hold a knife by the blade. It just doesn't end well. Anyways, through that struggle, you get Ash taking her arm and bending it back behind her and we kind of get the repeat of before where she falls on the knife it comes up through her and again you get blood you get milk you got snot everything going on right here is she dead well we use that same knife again it would seem like that scott would have shared that information hey dude when you use that knife it don't really do a lot it makes you think you killed him but it don't really do it you still got to do it the other way yeah Thanks for your help, buddy. You just sat there for a while. So Ash decides to take her out to the wood shop, and he's going to use a chainsaw to cut her up. And he gets ready, and then all of a sudden he sees that stupid necklace again and goes, Oh, I can't do it. I love her too much. So he decides to bury her as is. Big mistake. After you spend all that time digging the hole, when she opens her eyes a couple of times, we see it. He don't, because he's not looking. He's busy digging a hole. After he digs the hole, he puts her down in there, he covers it up that whole time, and as soon as he gets done, she pops up, tears a big hole in his leg, and then she comes up and she's going to jump on him, and Ash just whops her head off with a flat-billed shovel, which I have to say is talent, because <laughs> that's not easy to do. So at this point, you're down to the battle between Cheryl and Ash. This is what we've been kind of getting down to through the whole thing. Who's going to survive? But it's at this point that everybody kind of left the shooting of the film. You only had like one actor left. Most of the crew is gone and it's because they either ran out of funds or the weather was just too bad or who knows what. They went way longer than they said they were going to. People had to get back to the real jobs. 
So they started using the house as a character at this point to kind of fill the gap. You've got light bulbs, you've got light sockets, plug-ins in the wall are all dripping blood. You've got an old film projector that starts shooting in front of Ash, and while it's shooting, you got blood coming down that's running over on him because it's coming from the, the film. So it's, you know, all these cool little effects that's going on just adds to it. You also get the thing about the mirrors that Ash always has bad luck with mirrors in all the movies that are in the series and in the series itself. So it's kind of neat to see all that tied in right here. But then when it really comes down to it, he throws down with Cheryl, and then Cheryl just starts beating the crap out of Ash, just like an 8th grader fighting a 5th grader, but she's whipping him with a fire poker, man, and she is wearing him out. During all this, Ash kind of looks, and he sees that the book is over close to the fireplace, and it's been burning a little bit, and he looks up at Cheryl, and she's kind of smoking, not in a good way, but she's on fire. At this point, Ash decides, if I get my hands on the book, I can destroy the book, all will be well. Now, nobody... And I mean nobody in the history of movie making has ever had the concentration and the determination that Ash has at this point. Because he pulls out that crappy little necklace that he kept from Melinda. He's throwing it over there trying to make it lasso the book so he can pull it over close to him. While Cheryl is just beating the dog snot out of him with this poker. But guess what? Boom! He does it book goes in the fire and then Cheryl starts melting and doing all this weird stuff. She turns into a big claymation mess there for a little bit. Did you also get a scene where a couple of big monster arms pop out of the front and the back of her, which is a pretty cool effect. Then she does a weird kind of, I don't know, Charlie Chaplin kind of run thing and she smacks on the ground and busts all into pieces and all that blood and gore just goes all over Ash's face. And then she's laying there and she's melting down into oatmeal with you know, coming out of her sleeve and cockroaches coming out and just weird stuff like that. She dissolves away. And at this point, Ash gets up. He walks to the front door. Daylight is happening. He opens the door. He comes outside. The sun is up. And he stands there and he feels the sun on his face. And you're thinking, yeah, he's going to make it. But then you hear the noise. <laughs> you in the movie. Evil Dead solidified my love for horror in this one movie, also breaking all those old scenarios that we've seen time and time again in the classic flicks, and for that, you should be thankful. Which brings me up to the next part of this show I want to talk about. It's a little thing I call Rick's Rant. Now, don't get me wrong, I love a lot of horror stuff, but for all you fans out there that call yourself horror fans, and your idea only of horror is some mass lunatic chasing some kids at a campground who's been killed more times than Corey Feldman's music career, you're missing a whole world of stuff, man. You need to branch out, because this movie right here has more originality in one film than 48 of those other ones where we just got a machete-wielding lunatic going on. Trust me, it's out there. Check out Bay of Blood. That's where it came from. They did it first. Not loving this movie because of its limitations is like your significant other saying that you shouldn't be loved because of your shortcomings. Whack, whack. Bottom line is this movie was made when everybody else had quit, the financial backers were gone, all the actors had left, but the film kept rolling, and they changed the way that horror movies were made in the business. 
Can your 20-year-old self make a movie that does that? Didn't think so. So you better back the whack off and accept this ugly duckling for what it is, a classic masterpiece that should be considered as the Rocky of horror movies. Dissing this movie because of the age of it and the effects is just as rude as Freddy Krueger playing board games at home. You sank my battleship, bitch. Eat those marbles, you hippo bitch. Connect four. Here, up your ass. Go fish, bitch. Do not pass go, bitch. And you can forget about that $200. Sorry, bitch. For all you Evil Dead fans out there, I hope this review makes you want to raise your fist and yell because this movie is the bomb, yo, and it should be treated that way. Do yourself a favor. Every horror collection, every horror fan should have a copy of the original Evil Dead in your collection. It's a must-have. This has been... House of Wax, and we will see you next time right here. Check you later. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, how would you like to actually see it? Check out the House of Wax channel on YouTube and have access to content that will only be available on that channel. Don't forget while watching this, click that subscribe button down there at the bottom. That way you know when the next show is coming up. Also, don't be a jerk. Go check out Legion Podcast. You see the shirt right here where you can buy this very shirt, all kinds of other merchandises. Not to mention the incredible lineup of horror podcasts that are on that show. Do yourself a favor. Go check it out right now. So what you gonna do now? Huh?